love, sex and marriage. Uh, whether you think I was just saving the best for last, or whether you think I've been putting it off because I was running scared, or whether you think I was waiting until it made the news. Uh, you've seen the laws in Bali uh, that have come in this week. Uh, six months jail term for sleeping with anyone who's not your wife. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's going to be interesting for the tourist industry there in Bali. Um, or maybe I was just waiting for a wedding to happen in our church like yesterday. We're looking today, and we might have been all of those things. <laughs> We're looking today at what God says in Proverbs about being wise in this, these uh, amazing areas of love, sex and marriage. Now, for some of you, it's ears pricked up day. It's awesome. Uh, a couple of people have already said to me this morning, really looking forward to this one. Uh, in fact, uh, David Brake, I asked his permission at the wedding yesterday. He said, well, what's the topic tomorrow? I said, oh, I love sex and marriage. He's like, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, baby. That was it. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, but others might be thinking, why did I get up and come for this? <laughs> But let me say straight up, I'm confident whatever stage of life you're at at the moment, uh, whatever circumstances you find yourself in that you'll benefit, uh, whether you're married, single, widowed, divorced, content, struggling, confused, whatever. And even if you think, well, what do I need to hear about that? That's all behind me now. Well, there's always the next generation that we saw last week where to encourage and teach and influence, where, where to be there for others, whether it's our own family or those where we're nurturing and discipling in Christ. But I also know from my 21 years in Anglican ministry that 90-year-olds can still learn new things about marriage and about each other. Uh, 70-year-old couples can still fight. Uh, and Abraham was still having children at 100. And uh, Abraham's not the only one. Anyway... <laughs> Now, whether it's because these issues are so integral to human existence or whether it's because of it, it's an area of life that we can so easily make great mistakes and do terrible damage or whether it's because it's the talk that every parent uh, should have with their children, the book of Proverbs majors on these profound issues of intimacy and marriage and not just in random bits and pieces uh, like all the other topics that we've been looking at where there's a bit here and a bit there and a sentence there. Uh, there's whole sections and chapters devoted to it. Chapter 1 to 7 are all about sex. Uh, and chapter 31 is this wife of noble character and there's lots in between. It's almost a quarter of the book of Proverbs is just on this issue. Uh, it is the issue of the book of Proverbs. And it's written as a father talking to his son. Bear that in mind as we go through, uh, particularly ladies, if you think, well, where's the equivalent? We'll, we'll come to the equivalent as well. But it's a father talking to his son and he says son we've got to have a chat uh, I'm just going to grab this son we need to talk now some of us had parents who were too prudish uh, to have that chat or like mine too English uh, to ever sit their kids down to have this this chat but I reckon it's essential, and even if it's a bit awkward, uh, especially in a day and age when we are bombarded, uh, not just by the images on our screens in our entertainment, 
Um, but we're bombarded as well by the damage and the hurt of broken marriages and relationships and, and drama and all those kind of things. Uh, in an age where seven-year-olds are watching pornography on their devices in school playgrounds uh, and teachers know about it, when 50% of Year 12 students say that they've slept with at least one person, when 25% of Sydney office workers surveyed say they've had a sexual encounter at work with a colleague, uh, when we've got a 50% divorce rate and a 40% domestic violence rate, let alone the confusion over LGBT issues, it seems our society hasn't got the foggiest clue what's good and right and brings true joy in this area of life. We need this talk uh, more than ever. We need to be talking about this stuff in our families, uh, in our friendships and in our discipling relationships. Uh, more, not less. And just handing over a copy of this book, uh, <laughs> which many of you have read when you were in year five, uh, as I did, uh, is not going to cut the mustard, right? That's not enough to get that to your children and say, oh, read that. <laughs> we are in desperate need of God's wisdom, and not just our kids, but many of our contemporaries and peers, uh, and maybe even some of us are in desperate need of it too. And while it's a com uh, conversation that might be from mother to daughter, uh, or sometimes a mother to a son, uh, in Proverbs, it's a father to a son. And he says, son, let's have a chat. And so chapter five begins like this. We're going to be spending a lot of time in five and six. So if you want to uh, follow along in your Bible, that's fine too. Oh, most of it will come up on the screen. But if chapter five begins like this. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. That you may maintain discretion on your lips and, and sorry, may maintain discretion in your lips, may preserve knowledge. Uh, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is uh, smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Here is safe sex 101, according to the Bible. The father doesn't sit his done, uh, son down and say. Boy, wear a condom. Uh, that's far too short-sighted. Sure, that might guard somewhat against disease or unwanted pregnancy, although it doesn't do those even uh, particularly well. There's a 95 to 98% uh, success rate with condoms, if you didn't know that, uh, from PDHP. Um, but it's, that's far too short-sighted. Um, safe sex is far more than that, and not just safe sex, but good sex. Sex that blesses and gives joy and life and doesn't lead to misery, ruin and destruction. And the absolute first thing that dad needs to say to his son is, don't sleep around. <laughs> if you're not married to her, she's not yours to enjoy. Whether it's the adulteress here in chapter 5, uh, or other translations talk about the forbidden woman, or if it's casual sex, or if it's prostitutes in chapter 6, his advice is exactly the same. It may be tempting, it may be really, really tempting, but in the end it's going to ruin you. He says her lips are sweeter than honey. Her words are smoother than oil. Everything that comes out of her mouth is just wonderful to hear. But in the end you notice what happens, sweet becomes bitter, and smooth becomes sharp. 
And don't get me wrong, men can seduce women with their sweet talk too, but this is a father talking to a son. And it works all too easily on us, doesn't it? Uh, when someone's nice to us and says lovely things, you know, when they say that they understand us or they say to us that, that there's no one else who really understands them like you, uh, when they can say so many nice things that perhaps our spouses aren't saying to us at the moment, uh, it's nice to hear. It's flattering. It's lovely to hear. Maybe even refreshing to hear. Perhaps it's things we haven't heard in a very, very long time. Things that boost our confidence or, or make us laugh for the first time in what seems like ages. But in the end, bitter becomes smooth. A bitter becomes, sweet becomes bitter and smooth becomes sharp. Bitter as gall, poisonous, right? Disgusting and sharp as a double-edged sword. It's going to slice you up. And that's because in the end, the father says, foolish sex destroys. You'll see that heading. Foolish sex destroys. And maybe you know all too well from bitter experience, whether it's your own bitter experience or, or the experience of those you've seen and cared for, that foolish sex outside of God's good design of marriage uh, is always going to do damage. It will always do damage. It's never just a bit of fun. It's never something harmless that never hurts anyone. And even our contemporaries in the world see it from time to time. Sometimes they can, they, they have clarity. Uh, let me quote from one of the poets of today. See if you can work out who, who said this. When your saddest fear comes creeping in that you never loved me or her or anyone or anything. And I heard you moved on from whispers on the street. A new notch in your belt is all I'll ever be. And now I see. Now I see, now I see, he was long gone when he met me, and I realise that the joke is on me, so shame on me now. Oh, oh, trouble, trouble, trouble. <laughs> Anyone? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift! Someone, first time in church, knows the answer. <laughs> I knew you were trouble when you walked in the door, there you go. I love the, the uh, screaming goat version of that song. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Taylor Swift, uh, for those of you who don't know who that is, that, that's her, there you go. <laughs> uh, but the father, as he speaks to his son, knows that the damage is a whole lot worse than just bitterness uh, that comes from feelings of hurt and rejection. That's what she's saying she experiences, um, but it, the damage is far worse than that. She, she might speak beautiful things, she might offer you something you really want, but in the end, what does she deliver? He says here in uh, Proverbs 5, he, she delivers social ruin, she delivers financial ruin, she delivers spiritual ruin and death. And like every part of the wisdom we've seen, you've got to take the long view. Uh, you've got to frame things from the perspective of the end result. So that, that really is the kind of wisdom he's doing, talking about. You've got to, you've got to take the long view, say what, what's going to result from this? You know, from the short perspective, what a night! What an opportunity. From the long perspective, it's the ruin of everything you've worked so hard for. I mean, have a look. Social ruin, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of a house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Humiliation, dishonour. 
loss of dignity. That, that's what's waiting for you if you go there. Think of Barnaby Joyce with his love child, right? And the scandal, right? And how can you take him serious? I mean, he's one of the few voices speaking against the abortion stuff, but you can't take him serious. I mean, he's a jerk. I mean, what is, that's what everyone else is saying, right? He's a laughing stock. And not to be, uh, you know, uh, I want to be fair in politics, you know, think back to Bob Hawke and Blanche, right? Uh, public laughing stocks. But that embarrassment and shame is no less real for those not in the public eye. I mean, think of the walk of shame that after a stupid, drunken one-night stand. I mean, it's funny when it's Bridget Jones in a movie. It's horrifyingly bad if it's you or someone you love. And worse than that, think of the shame uh, as your family finds out and turns on you. I mean, I can't think of anything much worse than than the family that you have cared for and raised and nurtured hating your guts. But it's not just shame. He says there's financial destruction. Uh, Verse 10, don't do it, don't go with it, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. Everything that breaks up a family costs money, basically, uh, a lot of it. Uh, gambling, alcohol, abuse. But affairs, the price is astronomically higher. Um, First, there's the money spent having the affair, the hotel rooms, the gifts. Uh, Then there's the keeping it secret, hiding the bank account. That's one of the the signs of an affair. Money is going to be spent to keep it secret. Hush money. Uh, uh, I... A dumb friend of mine um, had a fling uh, and then got a letter from the woman saying $30,000 to keep it a secret. And that wasn't the last letter that he got. And he paid it and then it was asked again. Money may be stolen. Money is going to be spent keeping two households running. Money may go towards children born out of wedlock or in alimony, in the bust-up. Uh, and if lawyers get involved when it all comes out, you can kiss your security goodbye. I noticed, uh, I only read about it yesterday, but it happened a month or so ago, Bob Hawke's daughter, now that he's died, is suing Blanche for millions of dollars. Right? Um, because Blanche has got everything. Uh, and his kids want it back. Financial ruin, and all for the chance of maybe just one magic night with this woman who's not his wife. But worse even than that, he points out to his son, there's spiritual destruction and death. There is damage done of eternal significance. Uh, And so come back to verse 5 and 6. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Or come over to chapter 6 and verse 27. Can a man scoop fire in his lap without burning his clothes? Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever dropped a candle or a bit of wax on your front. and you're like, <laughs> Can a man walk on hot coals with his feet being scorched? Well, maybe Anthony Robbins can teach you to do it very quickly. But um, so is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. 
He won't go unpunished by the woman's family. Uh, Verse 33, blows and disgrace are his lot and his shame will never be wiped away for jealousy arouses a husband's fury and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Right? 95% of murders in this country are domestic. And most of them are around this issue. But it's not just vengeance in the family. I mean, he goes on to say, you know, someone when they're hungry might steal from you. But you can excuse that because they're hungry, right? If they take your wife or if you take theirs, there's no excuse, right? There would never be forgiveness. And that's from the family. But it won't go unpunished by God either if you come back to chapter 5. For your ways... This is right at the end of this section on adultery. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. I mean, think of it this way. The the other woman, she might smell really, really good with her Chanel number five. The other man might smell really good with his Hugo Boss. Or maybe just his manly musk. But if you've got wisdom, what you're really smelling is the stench of an open grave. You're smelling death itself. It's not pretty. It's not pleasant. It's in your face as the father tells it to his son and as the Bible tells it to us. And it makes the fleeting moment completely worthless. You're throwing away gold to get garbage. And can I say, I don't think pornography is any different from any of this. It's just the modern form of prostitution, sexual titillation in exchange for money. Uh, Whether it's your money or the advertiser's money, it doesn't really matter. Wisdom takes the long view. And let me say this very clearly as well. Because God loves us, he's also a God of second chances. I mean, the great great news of Jesus Christ is that he came into the world to save those who are lost. He came for sinners like us. None of us are pure, 100%, especially when it comes to adultery of the heart that Jesus talks about. But for some of us, um, actual adultery has come into our lives at different points. Uh, Some of us have been on the receiving end of that, I know. Some of us have been on the doing end of that. For some of us, it's incredibly... Uh, painful even just to mention it and think about it. But the great news is Christ does forgive and can forgive and he does give you life. And and he promises to continually work in us. Uh, There is repentance that we can do and and there is hope and there is mercy and there is forgiveness available. Uh, But we do need to confess it and deal with it. Um, If that's been you in the past uh, or if it's you now and no one knows... You've got to come to him and you've got to find wisdom and find forgiveness and don't go the way again. We've already read a couple of times that uh, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Don't go back there again. Foolish sex destroys. In every way it leads to ruin and death. But if foolish sex destroys, on the other hand, wise sex satisfies And maybe this will shock you even more as the Bible talks about this stuff. (laughs) 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've seen that already. And for married people, acknowledging that God made sex for us to celebrate and enjoy and indulge in is actually, this dad says to his son, part of wisdom. Uh, I mean, listen to the words of this father as he speaks to his son. His dad uh, praising married sex to his kid. Um, There's a conversation a lot of kids don't want to have with their parents. But anyway, uh, look at verse 15. He says, drink water from your own cistern. Uh, you know, don't think toilet cistern, right? Think think uh, well out the backyard, you know, uh, kind of farming. A uh, bit strange for the Australian context. But anyway, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. How good is that? You know, in marriage, intimacy is something that God wants us to cherish and enjoy. Um, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about, you know, uh, giving to the other person your body and, and serving them. Um, think of it here. A well, a well's a precious thing. If you're in an arid climate, it's more important to have water than a stove, right? It's more important to have than your couch. If you don't have a well, you die. It's it's the source of life and refreshment. And, and he's saying that's what sex and intimacy are supposed to be like in marriage. It's where to find refreshment and comfort and joy and life. Uh, I love verse 18 um, because it's the father praying a prayer of blessing, right? Can you pray to God about your sex life? Well, you can pray for your children. There you go. It's in their sex life. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. I mean, daddy's wanting, he's desperately wanting and praying even and encouraging the next generation to enjoy the gift that God's given them in their marriage. And he's saying, love your wife, treasure your wife and, and work on this union, which is meant to be building your joy and companionship and contentment. Now, that doesn't mean that married sex is always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that married sex will always flow easily. But that, that's the point, I think. It's not that there won't be times, you know, when you fought and, and there's something in between you which is a source of great pain. Or nor that there, you know, not that there won't be seasons of difficulty. Um, you know, uh, one of our congregation's uh, wife works in Afghanistan full-time. And he's here with family commitments and, you know, they've got to work on it. Um, or see difficulty with age and the problems that occur with that. Um, I, uh, I have a dear friend who is um, 80-something, blind, uh, and has had uh, prostate cancer. And so uh, things don't function the way they used to. And uh, he says... But we still enjoy a good cuddle. <laughs> um, and he's saying you've got to work on it. It's something to keep going back to and you've got to put a focus on it and protect it and learn to love and care for each other uh, even in those moments. Uh, when I do marriage preparation, I say to people like Jason and Becky, well, Jason in particular, uh, make the study of your wife your lifelong goal. Aim to become the PhD expert on Becky on everything that makes her tick and what she loves and enjoys because it's, it's about blessing and giving. 
Um, but even then, it's not really just about sex, is it? It's about all of intimacy. He, he's talking about being, being lost in her. Verse 19, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. You expect the, uh, the Bible to bear all? There you go. <laughs> may you ever be intoxicated with her love. He's saying, regard your wife as this beautiful, beautiful creature. Not treat her like an animal. That's not what he's saying. But treat her like the most beautiful creature on earth and be lost in her love forever. Be intoxicated with her, with her body, with her love, with her character. It's, it's a picture of joy and sharing, of giving and not taking. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well... All right. Yeah, baby. This, this is a really, really good word to God for me. Well, for the other one. <laughs> but some of you, you'll think, actually, this is a really, really hard word. Um, things maybe aren't going so well in your marriage uh, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe the marriage is over. But can I encourage you, this isn't just a word for those for whom things are going well. Right? The Bible doesn't say things to people who are always doing whatever it is, right? And they'll say, you know, don't steal, um, just to the people who aren't stealing, <laughs> right? Um, if you're struggling, you might need to call and to get help. But And for some of you, you might need help uh, just in working on your relationship and making it deeper. And, and for those who aren't married at this moment, for whatever reason, I'm really glad you're here too. Uh, this isn't just a waste of time. It a, because it might be you one day. You never know what God's got prepared for you. But also because you've probably got at least a niece or a nephew who needs to know God's good ways too. But also because there's other people you know who are married, I mean, who are here even, who you need to encourage them to be faithful and loving within their own marriages and to work on this part as much as any other part of their marriage. Uh, if you're a child, uh, respect your parents and their marriage encourage them to be a married couple. Don't just go, I hope mum and dad never. (laughs) Uh, Maybe the best gift you could give to your parents, and I'll look this way a bit, (laughs) is for you to go out a bit. (laughs) Right? Go and stay with a friend. (laughs) They've said this publicly. So, you know, sucked in, and they're not here, Ken and Melinda. We had a sex panel a few years ago, and uh, they spoke publicly about this, uh, that uh, they're really good, that they're really glad that youth group and night church exist. <laughs> there you go. They have four kids. Anyway, they are. Uh, but I'm also glad if you're here and you're not married, because the father has one more uh, area of advice to be wise about. And that is what to look for in a marriage partner. And so the fifth heading there on the outline, marriage and choosing wisely. You know, just because marriage is this great gift from God and just because, you know, it can be, not always, but can be such a wonderful source of strength and refreshment and, and intimacy is supposed to be a blessing, that doesn't mean you just run out and marry anyone. You just take the first person who'll love you. <laughs> he says you've got to choose wisely and you can make really terrible mistakes 
uh, if you don't think about that. Uh, and so Proverbs tells you how to do that, what makes a bad choice or who makes a bad choice and who makes a good choice. Now, because it's a father to a son, let's take choosing a wife first. We'll come back to the other way in a minute. What, what makes a bad choice in a wife? Well, there's three things the father, I can find in Proverbs, warns his son about. Uh, the first one is Julie Cricket's favourite. He says, don't marry someone who will constantly nag you and fight you. Uh, and as the book goes on, he gets more and more insistent about it. Here are the verses in order altogether. Uh, a foolish son is his father's ruin and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Blop. 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 <laughs> it's like Chinese water torture. <laughs> Goes on. Better to live on the corner of the roof than live in a house with a quarrelsome wife. There you go. Can't even be in the house with her anymore. Or... Third one, a few verses later, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. You wonder if, uh, you know, his wife's, uh, you finished that book yet? You finished that book yet? You finished... <laughs> um, anyway, now he's not saying that there's never times for a wife or to never mention how things are going or to point out problems. I mean, we already saw a few weeks ago that true friendship doesn't gloss over problems. Uh, you actually got to deal with stuff. That, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about that argumentative spirit that always wants to be right, that wants to fight everyone about everything. It's that wanting to dominate and be in charge and run everyone else's lives. And, and if you see it in her with others right now, in her other friendships and relationships, you can be sure that will be your marriage later. And it will be miserable. Right. The second and third things to watch out for uh, when choosing a wife come together in the second last line of the book. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What's dad's warning? What should the son not be entranced with? Charm and beauty. They're nice. They're lovely. But they're really, really dumb when it comes to finding someone who you can love and serve and grow together with. Well, why not be taken in by them? Well, charm, he says it's deceptive. What does that mean? It, 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 it hides the realities, charm. You never know what the charmer really thinks. You know, the kind of girl who tells you only what you want to hear. You know, the flirt who, who needs everyone to love her and, and wants every boy's attention. She's not the woman to woo. But then neither is the drop-dead gorgeous bombshell. Uh, and not just because she's out of your league. <laughs> but because looks and beauty are fading. No matter how stunning she looks today, it's all going to fade. The long legs, the perfect hair, the toned figure, the wrinkle-free face... She's not going to look that way forever. The cute nose. <laughs> and it won't even necessarily take that long. 
the dark eyes, the bags under the eyes of the chronically tired mum. Right? The puffiness, <laughs> the blotchiness, the fedubitas. <laughs> These things. <laughs> you got to watch some more Kath and Kim. Yeah, fedubitas, darling. Yeah. <laughs> the stretch marks, <laughs> the wrinkles, grey hairs. The sagging bits, <laughs> they're all coming sooner than any of us would like. And that's just the men. <laughs> we know it's true, don't we? Why can't we face it? Beauty is fleeting. So that's not the woman to chase and pursue and marry. Right? I'm not saying you have to go for the ugliest person. (laughs) But if that's all you're looking for, you're an idiot. That's what dad's saying to his son. But if that's not the woman to chase and pursue and marry, who is? Well, it's the woman of Proverbs 31. Are you chasing one right now? You're starting too young. (laughs) Who is the woman to chase? The woman of Proverbs 31 we read about before, the wife of noble character. And what a woman. Uh, and we won't read again, but she's amazing, isn't she? she she's up early. She's up in the bed late because she's working hard. She's managing the family finances. She's feeding and caring for the family. She's clothing them. She's strong. She's wise. She's compassionate. She's generous. She's caring for the people inside the family and outside the family, the poor and everyone. Uh, and and it's not just for their benefit. I mean, it is for their benefit, but but she's actually loved by everyone, right? Her children love her. Her husband loves her. her you know, the contemporaries are looking at her and thinking, "Wow, she's amazing." It's all character. I mean, that's the true beauty that that one Peter talks of. You know, that that kind of spirit. She is amazing, and you might think, "Well, she's too good." You know, Pauline said she's daunting when she got up to read. She's too wonderful. Who on earth could live up to that? Well, no one. Absolutely. But actually, I reckon lots of women do. I reckon lots of you do. Right? You might not think of yourselves that way, but, but you know, Alison does. Right? And I don't think she's alone, but she's, you know... She does almost all of that. Everything you read through, she's managing the accounts. She's the one thinking about property and, and all those things. She's managing you know, our affairs. She clothes us, feeds us. She cares for us and not just us. Others benefit from her concern. She's prepared and diligent and generous. Uh, is she those things perfectly all the time? No. But she's pretty amazing. And best of all, and most important of all, the bottom line... She fears the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Why am I pointing at that one? I should point at that one. (laughs) I'm looking at the back screen if you never notice we've got one up there. (laughs) That's the non-negotiable on the list. She she loves Jesus, right? In fact, it's that relationship with her King and Saviour that leads her to be those other things. That's the woman to find. That's the woman to chase. Well, that's the woman to be, (laughs) As well. But you ladies might be thinking, okay, that's not fair. 
That sounds like a pretty cushy deal for the bloke. Right? You can just lounge around and take it easy while he's sitting at the city gate talking wise words with the elders. Where's bit one-sided, isn't it? Where's the equivalent section on being a man of noble character? Where's the bloke to chase? Where's that man? Uh, good question. But I think if you're worried, then you've probably missed something. Sure, chapter 31 is about the wife to look for, and she is amazing. But actually, the whole rest of the book is about the husband-to-be. That's about the man-to-be. That's about the man-to-chase. There's 30 and a half chapters on being that man, not just half a chapter on the wife. You want to know what to look for in a husband? Well, it's someone who lives by the wisdom of this book. Because it's a father telling his son the man he's got to grow up to be. Someone who we've seen the last three months is kind, faithful, prudent, diligent, generous, not a drinker, someone who's not given to fits of rage, someone who's a good friend, someone who's careful and wise in what they say. They say the hard thing at the right moment. They say the the loving, kind thing at the right moment. It's someone who shuns evil. It's someone who pursues righteousness. It's someone who loves all and cares for the poor. Someone who's hospitable and all the rest. Everything we've seen and more. And most importantly, as with the wife, it's someone who fears the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't get that straight. Nothing else is going to make sense. Right? That's why the Bible is insistent that if you're a believer, never marry a non-Christian. Like, A, it's wrong. Uh, if you want to see that, Malachi uh, 2. Uh, you could go to the end of 1 Corinthians 7. But it's dumb, right? You're on two completely separate paths, one leading to heaven and one leading to hell. And you may not be on that path to heaven for much longer if you go down that path, right? Because, well, there are amazing miracles and God does change some people's hearts. But the vast majority of believers in non-Christians end up non-Christians themselves, right? I would say, anecdotally, from my experience, 90%. Christians who marry non-Christians give up their faith. Right? It's wrong and sinful, but it's stupid. Don't be an idiot. But it's not just that that's a person who'll make a good prospect either. See, this is the kind of person God's calling us all to be, regardless of whether we're married or divorced, or single, or whatever. He's calling us to be a truly wise person who fears him and loves others, who wants to live his way and be a blessing to all who encounter us, a person whose life and decisions are driven by by a love for him who first loved us and gave his son for us, a person who's not ashamed to make a stand for Jesus. Uh, And so this is who we are all to be, whoever we are. 
This is the truly wise person who Solomon wants his son to grow up to be. It's who God is calling all of us who are his children to be. And knowing him, fearing him, serving him, loving him, in the end, is far, far better and more satisfying and enriching than any amount of love or sex or marriage. Because knowing him will transform all those things for sure and for the better. But God is better than all of them, right? And more important. In fact, if you want a wedding to go to, if you want a wedding to be part of, particularly where you're involved, there's really only one to make sure that you're at. And that is the wedding of Jesus to his bride, the church. That's the marriage we're to long for. That's the marriage of which our earthly marriages now are meant to just be a reflection of that true joy in heaven. You want to be truly wise? Make sure you're with Jesus. Father, it's been a challenging term and perhaps today has been a challenging day. Father, we pray, please, that you would be with all those who are made one in marriage, that you would bless them and care for them where there are difficulties in marriages in our congregations. We pray, please, that you would ease those tensions. There'd be good communication. They'd do conflict well. Uh, They'd learn to delight in each other again in all parts and aspects of who uh, the other person is. For those who have been there in the past and there is hurt and damage, uh, we pray for your love and mercy and compassion. We pray that you would drive away bitterness and bring forgiveness. We pray, please, that uh, you would help us not to make the mistakes again of the past. If there are any of us caught in sin at the moment, please help us to flee from it, to run as hard as we can away from sexual immorality and to pursue righteousness and holiness. Father, because we love you and we want to be yours. We want to run this race and be the wise people you're calling us to be. Please help us to cherish your ways, to love you and to love each other in the midst of the messiness of life and the difficulties that help us to care for one another and spur each other on to be a good friend to those who, uh, for whom this is difficult. Father, please be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.